<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hi everybody, Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and my other podcast, the Cheryl Atkinson Podcast, and share with your friends, leave reviews, and then I also hope you'll consider pre-ordering my new book that's coming out in November. It's called Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. Today I'm going to tell you what I learned when I set out to investigate how much money federal taxpayers have spent on hurricane relief for Puerto Rico and what happened to the money. This story ends with an FBI investigation, arrests, and some convictions. I'll tell you the latest on those. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You probably remember all the news after Hurricanes Maria and Irma hit Puerto Rico almost three years ago. The U.S. had the task of trying to responsibly distribute the most aid money ever for a natural disaster to a government that was mired in corruption and under FBI investigation. And it was against this backdrop that I set out to find how much money was actually committed and spent and who got it. So on my trip to Puerto Rico, I went to the small Puerto Rican village of Corozal and met a woman named Brenda Rodriguez, who I found was still waiting for help. Mind you, this had been two years since the aid had begun to be distributed, two years after the hurricane. She had shown us a videotape she recorded on her phone of the river rising outside of her doorstep. She's said she thought she was going to die, that the house was going to fall apart. And this house, to begin with, is, you know, by our standards here on the mainland, um, you know, not a luxurious home to begin with. And on top of that, it obviously got water damage. It flooded the whole bottom floor, became rotted out. Um, she can't eat, go anywhere in the bottom floor. She kind of stays up on the second level of the small structure. And she never got a penny of the billions of dollars earmarked for hurricane recovery. And why didn't she get any money? Well, I dug into that a little bit. She did fill out an application. You know, you wonder how do people get help after an event like this? Well, she filled out an application. A young man came around, she said, helped her fill it out. But she was told that she wasn't eligible for assistance, ultimately, because she doesn't own the house. And, you know, on the one hand, I understand the reason for the rules, that the money should go to the owner. But on the other hand, I learned in Puerto Rico, the rules are different there. It's just not like 
a lot of the United States in terms of how things work. People live in houses without formal leases. They live in apartments. They kind of rent places informally. And this structure needed some help, no matter who owned it. And as long as the money was spent on the hurricane damage on the structure, you would think that would be okay. But she was told that she was ineligible. So there are 62,000 hurricane victims in Puerto Rico, I learned, that were denied emergency help for technical reasons like that. And still, a record amount of federal tax money was being devoted to recovery. So I set out to try to figure out who got it. And it wasn't easy. You may remember there was some controversy when President Trump was giving out a number for hurricane relief, and the media said he was lying. It wasn't that much. It was half that. And it really was hard to find out how much money really had been committed because money had been promised from different pots. Some of the money delivered, some not. Some of it spent, some not yet spent. But what I learned was President Trump was pretty much spot on when it came to the total committed money, including future possible outlays. He was using the right figure. The media was wrong. So after consulting with a lot of different authorities, we crunched the numbers in a full measure investigation, and I learned that about, this was as of my visit there two years ago, $48 billion for Puerto Rico was to come from emergency recovery funds, and $43 billion more, okay, on top of the $48 billion, was appropriated by Congress so far on that date. So in all, it was estimated the recovery effort in Puerto Rico would ultimately amount to $91 billion U.S. tax dollars. Now, of that amount, I looked into how much have they gotten so far because the way federal money works, you know, some of it is committed, appropriated, sent, eventually spent, but not all at once. Well, as of two years after the hurricane, the island had only received about $14 billion. Yes, $14 billion is a lot of money, but of $91 billion, two years later, where did the $14 billion go? Well, I found the biggest single chunk of that, $5 billion, was spent fixing the electric system, which was already failing before the hurricane. And there was fraud involved in this recovery of the electric system. We'll talk about that in a moment. Nearly $20 billion, when I checked, had been earmarked for housing and shelter under something called community planning and development. But two years after Maria less than a million dollars had been paid out. So let me go over that again. $20 billion was earmarked for housing and shelter, but two years later when I was visiting, less than a million, about $913,000 had been paid out, and that's it. As to why, well, I spoke to a man who was one of Puerto Rico's top hurricane recovery officials at the time, Omar Marrero, and he explained that when you're talking about how much money has been allocated for Puerto Rico, the billions, he says he understands people think, well, they got a lot. But he said that even though the money's been obligated, it's still not available yet for the people. So this money is there in a way, but it's not. Um, to back up just a minute, give a few stats about Puerto Rico. It's a 110-mile-long island. And even two years later, there were still a lot of homes when I flew over the island on a helicopter tour, still a lot of homes that didn't have roofs, still having hurricane damage unrepaired. Puerto Rico, as you may know, is extremely poor. 
at least 46% of its residents, 1.3 million people, about half, were on welfare before the hurricanes. So you can imagine what happened when the devastation from the hurricanes and the blow to tourism and all of that came. So to the question of why so much money seemed to be committed in some way, but so little of it actually given out, it's a complicated equation. Because on the one hand, you see that the people who need it aren't getting it. But on the other hand, as I spoke with FEMA officials, FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, they intentionally make it not difficult, but they intentionally make it a process to be able to get the funds because this territory being mired in corruption and under an FBI investigation at the time, they can't just hand out money to anybody. There has to be processes followed in a paper trail. But on the other hand, it's so hard to meet the FEMA paperwork requirements, as was explained to me, that it was just becoming a barrier to people getting the money. So on the one hand, I understand that we expect FEMA to be careful and guard our tax money responsibly when it comes to handing it out. On the other hand, if you make it so difficult that people simply can't get it because of the way things work in Puerto Rico, again, not like the mainland U.S. in many ways, as far as how business is conducted, how contracts work, and, and how things happen. So another challenge with Puerto Rico Normally, when there's an emergency disaster, communities fund their own immediate repairs. They pay for everything up front somehow through loans or money out of their own accounts, but then they apply to get paid back by FEMA so they can replenish the accounts. Well, Puerto Rico was bankrupt already, already in a bankruptcy and corruption scandal before the hurricanes. They didn't have the cash on hand. So that formula of being able to start your own repairs and then getting reimbursed by FEMA, that doesn't work. And as the Puerto Rican recovery official told me, he said FEMA's agnostic to the fiscal economic situation of Puerto Rico, meaning he said the FEMA rules didn't take into account how things are in Puerto Rico. So as opposed to Texas, which had, I guess, what you could call a rainy day fund, Puerto Rico had nothing to draw on. And part of that's because of their financial mismanagement of the past. To summarize, a great deal of money had been earmarked for Puerto Rico for their possible use. Very little of it had actually been spent, and almost none of it had gone to the people who I think we think of when we say who needs it the most. And as I mentioned, the largest single chunk went to the electric grid. Well, that factored in, as I mentioned, some of the corruption that ended up being unearthed in connection with all of this, which I will tell you about right after the break. We are back, and we are talking about some $91 billion in U.S. tax money earmarked for possible hurricane recovery after Puerto Rico's double devastating hurricanes, and how much of it, it turns out very little, had gotten to the people who really needed it, whose communities and houses had been devastated. Meantime, as I mentioned, this territory was already, before the disaster, embroiled in an FBI corruption scandal, in a bankruptcy, financial mismanagement. Well, about the time that I was there for full measure investigating and following the money, the FBI began arresting 
top Puerto Rican government officials and consultants for all kinds of charges. Also charged was a notable figure, a FEMA official named Asha Tribble. She was once an Obama Homeland Security advisor, and Tribble took the lead on getting Puerto Rico's electric grid fixed. Remember I said that the largest single chunk of money that had been spent, $5 billion, went for the electric grid. Well, this FEMA official, Asha Tribble, was accused by the FBI of taking bribes to steer a $1.8 billion contract to a company called Cobra. And again, on my visits to Puerto Rico, the residents and officials there say this is the sort of thing that's been happening for many years, where officials in Puerto Rico will take bribes and steer contracts to their friends. So she's accused of steering a contract to a company called Cobra. The CEO at the time of Cobra and a FEMA friend of Tribble's, who went to work for Cobra, were also arrested. So there were three people in connection with that alleged scheme, all of them denied wrongdoing. Now, you may remember that um, about this time, Puerto Rico's governor resigned. That was about late July last year. And the territory's new governor announced plans to review the hurricane relief funds and all of the government contracts. A massive job to try to get at the heart of some of this alleged fraud and corruption. What has happened since? Okay, here is the list of some of the outcomes and additional developments in this FBI investigation into corruption in Puerto Rico. About the time I was doing my follow the money research, the FBI began arresting people. They arrested six top Puerto Rican government officials and consultants, also charged a notable FEMA official named Asha Tribble, who was once an Obama Homeland Security advisor. Now Tribble, a FEMA, had taken the lead on getting Puerto Rico's electric grid fixed. Remember, I said that was the largest single amount of money that had been spent so far, $5 billion? Well, Tribble was accused of taking bribes to steer a $1.8 billion contract to a company called Cobra. Also arrested and charged were Cobra's CEO at the time and a FEMA friend of Tribble's who went to work for Cobra. All of them denied wrongdoing. You may remember that Puerto Rico's governor resigned, I believe it was late July, and the territory's new governor announced plans to review all of the hurricane relief funds and all of the government contracts. So what's happened since then? Here are some more developments. Abel Nazario Quinones, who is a Puerto Rico senator, and he was also former mayor of Yauco, has been found guilty for making false statements and guilty of wire fraud. The former mayor of Garabo in Puerto Rico was found guilty of public corruption. The former education secretary of Puerto Rico, Julia Kelleher, has been indicted along with another individual for bribery, conspiracy, and wire fraud. Now, the charges against her, the former education secretary, was related to the awarding of contracts to BDO Puerto Rico, whose former president, Fernando Scherer, was also listed as being charged. And it was also connected to the firm Colon and Ponce. And in connection with all of this, there were two sisters charged, Glenda Ponce Mendoza and Mayra Ponce Mendoza. One of them has already pled guilty 
after reaching an agreement with the prosecution. Also charged a subcontractor in Puerto Rico, Alberto Velazquez Pinal. And there were criminal investigations overall, according to the Department of Justice, related to three alleged schemes, the award of an education contract to the firm Colon and Ponce, alleged crimes related to the education secretary Kelleher's efforts to have a portion of salary subsidized by private donations. The donations were to be made to the Puerto Rico Education Foundation, PREF. There were also alleged specific crimes involved with the awarding of a contract to the Josephson Institute of Ethics and something called the Your Values Count Initiative. So those are just some of the charges we know about that have come from alleged hurricane contract fraud, corruption in Puerto Rico, and so on. That's the latest we know. You can watch for the story about all of this on Full Measure, Sunday, June 7th. You can check TV listings by going to fullmeasure.news and click About, and it has TV listings, or go to CherylAckison.com and click Full Measure, and I have all the ways you can watch, not just the TV station list, but how to watch on our app Stir for free anytime, live or replay. And if you ever miss a program but would really like to see a replay of it, it'll be posted probably around noon on Sunday after it airs on TV at fullmeasure.news. You can see the segments there anytime. And part of the good news with this story, there's a transcript with it as well, which is in English and also a Spanish language transcript that follows. My friends and contacts in Puerto Rico were very interested in this story. To make clear, obviously the people who live in Puerto Rico don't approve of this corruption and fraud. They need help. A lot of great people there, and that's why they were so eager to help with my investigation. They want to root out the corruption and fraud. They don't like that Puerto Rico is sort of known for this, and I think that's part of what helped make my story possible and so thorough. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And I hope you will subscribe to the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, plus this one, Full Measure After Hours. Leave a review, share it with your friends. And if you like my podcast, I'm sure you're going to love my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. You can support independent journalism and pre-order Slanted anywhere. It's coming out at the end of November, but what a great eye-opener for friends of yours or family members who are interested in media reporting, media manipulation, what's happened to the news, all of these topics are covered in in this new book. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.